Greetings, my peeps, and welcome to the All Things Basketball Podcast with your boy, GD. In this episode, I'll be doing my player spotlight for week nine, and it will be on Nate Tiny Archibald. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Okay, guys, let's talk about the player spotlight. And my spotlight for week nine is Nate Archibald. Nate Archibald, born in Bronx, New York, point guard who was uh, six foot one and a whopping 150 pounds. So very uh, thinly built, but lightning quick. Uh, very cat-like quick. He was born again in the Bronx, September 2nd, 1948. So, um, to compare him to today's guard, well, let me just talk talk about a little bit about his uh, upbringing and school and so forth. Grew up in the South Bronx, up there in Patterson Projects, up in the Bronx. Uh, at an early age, he earned the reputation of being a playground legend. So his name got around the city and so forth. So uh, he attended DeWitt Clinton High School up in the Bronx. Um, he was actually cut from the team as a sophomore. Um, and then after being discouraged and, you know, uh, filling his time, Kind of a little bit of a truant, uh, not going to school and so forth, being down on himself. Uh, he was then brought back to the team thanks to one of his mentors uh, actually putting a good word with the coach for the team. So uh, he spoke up, gave a good word on his behalf, and then Nate was uh, welcomed back to the team. So... It seems like he learned something from that um, being cut. So uh, into his senior year, he was named team captain. So he, he grew as a, you know, as a uh, player both on the court and off and became all city, uh, all city selection back in 1966. So way long time ago, guys. He actually got the nickname of Tiny, Tiny Archibald, from his dad, who was known as Big Tiny. So, um, and when he returned back to the team, he still kind of struggled with his grades a bit, uh, pretty much throughout high school. So, so much so that because of it, uh, he couldn't get a major scholarship from the big schools, you know, the, uh, big time universities so he ends up going all the way out to the west coast to arizona western community college there he played for one year before transferring over to utep uh, university of texas in el paso playing under the legendary don haskins uh he had a th great three years over there with uh don haskins uh he scored 20, he ended up in his career in college, 20 point per game scorer. And remember, uh, Don Haskins, he's coached the likes of Bobby Joe Hill, 
who was the lead uh, lead guard and player when they upset Kentucky in that legendary NCAA Finals. Um, remember, they had the all-black team that uh, beat Hank Alba and his uh, Kentucky team. So, um, so he, so Haskins coached Bobby Joe Hill and later a guy by the name of Tim Hardaway. So, so he stood. Um, Nate Archibald he stood out in the uh, five postseason exhibitions. You know, kind of like uh, for seniors and so forth. And in those, in one game in the Aloha Classic, he scored 51 points. And then pretty much through the five games, he averaged nearly 40 points per game. So prolific scorer for his size and position. So, But even with all that, he ended up being drafted in the second round in the 1970 draft, actually 19th overall. And this was a draft that included the number one overall pick, Bob Lanier. Also had the likes of Rudy Tomjanovich. Pete Maravich was in that draft. Pete Maravich, we did a spotlight on. Um, Dave Cowens, Calvin Murphy, another uh, point guard. And Sam, Sam Lacey was also in that 1970 draft. So, um Anyhow, so so he gets drafted in the second round by the Cincinnati Royals. Now, the Cincinnati Royals was coached by the legendary player, now turned coach, Bob Cousy. And actually, uh, funny, funny this happened. Um, he was actually, <laughs> he was mistaken when they f- first met him. Uh, Bob Cousy and the GM at the time, Joe Axelson, uh, they actually mistaken him for a bellhop being, you know, again, he was that thinly built uh, guard. So they kind of, (laughs) they didn't realize who he was. So um, funny that happened. So anyhow, so he ended up in his rookie year with the Royals. Um, he ended up being a starter, actually, as a rookie because the guard, the point guard at the time, Flynn Robinson, was in a uh, contract dispute, so he kind of held out. So this paved the way for Archibald to start as a rookie at the point guard position. And, of course, when you have that, you're going to have growing pains and so forth, you know, uh, him getting acclimated with the league. So he did average 16 points per game and 5.5 assists in his rookie season. So, um, but blossoming in his second year after nearly being traded, they actually contemplated uh, trading him, but they ended up trading Norm Van Leer instead. So, um, so pretty much they, Pretty much centered the team around him. So, and he blossomed under that. He had a solid first half of the season, but actually, he didn't make the all star team. Um, he was playing very well, but didn't make that all star team, which really drove him. 
he ended up finishing that year with a 28-point average and also 9.2 assists per game. Uh, so he followed that season with a even more amazing season. Uh, and this was actually their first year because they made the move from Cincinnati to Kansas City. They became the Kansas City slash Omaha Kings at the time. So this would be his 1972-73 season where he had a season for the ages, guys. He averaged 34 points per game and, get this, 11.4 assists per game, becoming the first and only player to lead the league in both scoring and assists all in the same year. And that 11.4 assists per game was actually, he broke a record that was held by Guy Rogers, who had a 11.2 assists uh, per game for the Chicago Bulls back in 66, I believe. Anyhow, so, even with all these gaudy numbers that uh, Nate was putting up, uh, the team in those first three seasons never finished above 36 wins in a season. So, you know, with, with that type of thing, you know, guys will get labeled, you know, uh, me first guys, so on and so forth. So, uh, so that kind of began to stick with him early. And also for him, uh, things back home weren't all that, uh, weren't going all that well. Actually, it was kind of difficult. Um, one of his brothers, when he, uh, on a trip he made back home, he found him strung out on drugs and then two more of his brothers actually got arrested. So uh, a lot of turmoil going on at home and in Bronx. So what ended up happening was Nate would bring two of his brothers out there to Kansas City to live with him. And they kind of turned their lives around being in that atmosphere. And then the other brother, uh, he went to rehab uh, thanks to Nate being that influence to get him to go there. So, uh, so having a positive effect on the family. Then in 1973-74 season, he only played 35 games, and that was due to a Achilles injury that he suffered. And in that year, he uh, his numbers fell big time. 17.6 uh, points per game, and then... Uh, 7.6 assists. So uh, the numbers really fell then. Uh, he bounced back, though. He bounced back in his next two seasons, averaging 26.5 points per game and 24.8 points per game, respectively, and also 6.8 assists and set nearly 8 assists per game. Um, and he went to the All-Star game both of those seasons. So uh, so he bounced back in a major way from one of the first major in injuries he had in the league. And in that 1974-75 season, they actually made the playoffs. He made the playoffs for the first time, going all the way to the Western Conference semifinals where he lost to Chicago. Uh, and that was a six-game series that... Uh, 
Well, they lost it in six games, four games to two. So then after his 75-76 season, he was traded um, to the New Jersey Well, they weren't in Jersey yet. The New York Nets, who actually was just coming into the NBA after the merger with the ABA. So they kind of needed some star power. So so Kansas City trades him to the Nets for uh, Jim Aikens, Brian Taylor, and two future draft picks who turns up being... Oldest Bird song and Phil Ford. So uh, he only played 34 games for the Nets due to a major foot injury he suffered. So, and in that 34 game season, he averaged 20 and a half points per game, uh, seven and a half assists, 1.7 steals. So, still kind of a, um, you know, not himself fully there, so um, this is where he kind of uh, has to <laughs> kind of reacclimate himself. So, uh, so then he was traded somehow, some way. The Nets were able to trade him after that abbreviated season. Traded him to Buffalo, and uh, he went up to Buffalo for George Johnson and two future first-round picks, both of which ended up being Michael Ray Richardson and Cliff Robinson. I'll probably do something on Michael Ray Richardson in the future. So uh, that was a bad boy there. Anyhow, so he never played a game for the Buffalo Braves. um, Who, after a torn Achilles that he suffered before the season began. So he never played a game for the Braves. Uh, and then the Braves ended up moving. Um, they ended up moving to San Diego, becoming the San Diego Clippers. And then prior to the 1978-79 season, he actually was traded yet again. This time he was traded to Boston, along with Marvin Barnes, Billy Knight, and a future and a couple of future second-round picks, one of which turned into being Danny Ainge. Um, and he was traded for guys like Sidney Wicks, Freeman Williams, and Kermit Washington, to name a few. So his first season in Boston was anything but pleasant. Uh, he was clunk, clunky fit, uh, playing next to JoJo White at the time. Uh, also, he clashed with player slash coach Dave Cowens, uh, and also at this point in his career, he carried a label with him of being a, of, uh, you know, kind of a bad reputation. Uh, also, he had this injury history that um, he had hanging over him, and he had a bloated contract on top of that. So. Um, but somehow he totally transformed himself after that first season in Boston. Uh, totally transformed this game to fit in with what the new coach now, Bill Fitch, wanted from him. So 
Uh, he became a key member on a consistent winning uh, team in Boston. And with that transformation, it came right on time because that ended up being the rookie season of a guy called Larry Bird. So, so uh, that first season in um, that first season with Bill Fitch, with him at the point guard position, he ends up uh, on a sixty on a sixty win Boston team. And that team ends up going all the way to the Eastern Conference semis where they got knocked out by the Sixers. But his transformation was, um, again, very much... Um, it, it came off the strength of him actually doing some work with kids in the for summer camps. The, it kind of humbled him a bit, so... He came back with a new frame of mind. So, uh, and in that, he ends up making the All-Star team uh, over there with Boston. Uh, three, Actually, three-time All-Star with Boston. And also, he ended up finally winning a NBA championship in the 1980-81 season. Also, in that first all-star appearance with Boston, he ends up being the game's MVP as well. So, um, yeah, so he ends up winning a championship with Boston. Um, and then he plays two more seasons in Boston before playing one more season with the Milwaukee Bucks. And then he retired after the 84 season. So, um, and of course, he ends up in the Hall of Fame, get a, uh, entering into the Hall of Fame 1991. And then in 1996, he was named one of the NBA's greatest, uh, 50 greatest players. And of course, obviously, with um, the 75th anniversary team, he's on that as well. So uh, nowadays, he spends it, he, um, after. Retiring, he went back to get his college degree, and now he runs a basketball school for un underprivileged kids. He also had a stint where he worked in the NBA office as a community relations in their community relations department. So, now to compare him to today's player, Nate Archibald, I would say he would be a more healthier Kyrie with the passing ability of a Russell Westbrook. So that's probably the apt description of him. And then, of course, when he transformed this game, he was more in the vein of a, like, Chris Paul. So uh, he was actually recently interviewed, and he was asked about um, some of his favorite players, some of the guys he liked to watch. And he actually named Kyrie and Kimball Walker, obviously, a Bronx native as well as one of the favorite uh, guards he likes to watch. And, of course, he has much respect for a guy like uh, Chris Paul. Um, and he also favors the European uh, players, too, as well. Luka Doncic and Nikolai Jokic as well. So, uh, yeah, favorable things to say about them. So, nonetheless, so that is pretty much the spotlight on Nate Archibald. Uh, a guy who broke barriers, um, 
a dominant player for his height at the time and his built. You're very thinly built, but lightning quick. So uh, we we send congratulations and we send big ups to Nate Archibald for being the player that he is. So uh, kudos to you, sir. All right. So that's my player spotlight for week nine. So, all right, guys. So a lot of... A lot of craziness going on in the NBA again with COVID and so forth. So I will talk to you later. So my peeps, if you enjoy what you're listening to, you can follow me on my Facebook page, GD That Sports Dude. You also can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at GD That Sports Dude. And also on Twitter, you can find me at GD That Sport Dude. Also, you can email me at That Sports Dude GD at gmail.com. You can also support me through my Zelle at that same email address. And also on anchor.fm slash GD That Sports Dude. You can hit the support button there to contribute to this podcast and also like me there as well. And again, I thank you for listening to this content.